Hey there, welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and we are just trying, with your help, to make the world 10% nicer by any means necessary. All right. Okay, before I get into today's amazing guest, and he really is, uh, a couple of housekeeping items. The first thing is that starting today with this episode, the Nice Work podcast is moving to a bi-weekly schedule. I mean, the fact is there's just way too many podcasts vying for our earballs and attention, and none of us ever get to listening to all of them. Less is more, all right? Less is more, especially when it comes to, you know, podcasts, consumption, plastic, money, um, less is more. Yeah, so bi-weekly, that's, that's what's happening. That means every two weeks, not twice a week. I know. It's confusing. All right. I also want to tell you about Super Nice Club's Bring the Nice Fall Tour. We're going to visit somewhere between six and 10 major US, maybe Canadian cities, and get all y'all Super Nice Club members together to have some seriously nice times and do some seriously nice things. So we're definitely going to do LA, Dallas, Atlanta, Minneapolis. Um, Everywhere else is up for grabs, up for discussion. If you want to meet your fellow Super Nice Club members at an event in your city, reach out. Let us know. Help us make it happen. Basically, we'll go wherever there's the most interest, the nicest people, and the best mezcal and 2CB. And if you have like an inflatable nativity pool like floaty set, we're definitely hitting you up. That's a city I want to go to. I really want one of those big crosses, you know, with the cup holders where, you know, like where the nails would go and just lie on my back and float around. So like, if you have that, we're totally there. Super double promise. Just kidding. Just kidding about the 2CB. I, um, I have really bad allergies today and I took medicine and it's making me really loopy. So forgive me. Not that I don't want the inflatable cross. I'm not trying to backpedal on that desire. Just, you know, kind of in general, this whole intro. Anyway, today's guest, today's guest, uh, no, wait, we also have a giveaway today, a really good giveaway. So you got to listen to like everything for a chance to win. I don't remember exactly what it is we're giving away because we recorded this talk a week ago, but I think it might be really cool. It was like a car, it was a car or it was a sticker and something like that, whatever. Today's guest is Victor Litvinenko, co-founder, along with his wife, Sarah, of my very, very, very favorite maker of denim jeans, Raleigh Denim Workshop, which is located in, can you guess? Yeah, Raleigh, North Carolina, which is my very favorite city that I've never visited. Got to change that. Victor and Sarah and their team make some of the best, if not the best, handcrafted selvage denim jeans in the world. Uh, what do we talk about? We talk about the, you know, the serious craft that is selvage denim, the techniques, uh, looms, mills, the machinery. We talk about starting a venture with your significant other, some tips and lessons there. Uh, commando style in a post-COVID world, what selvage is and why it's so super nice and beautiful, why made in the USA still matters, shooting hoops with arcade fire, the love of slower, 
better old tools and machines. We answer the questions like uh, whether you should ever wash your jeans. We talk about Yukio Mishima's dark take on nationalism, what hand-drawn grade rules are, and why you should care, because Victor really, really does. And, uh, oh, super interestingly, we talk about how the Church of the Subgenius retroactively invented through like a mirror-like usurpation of the spectacle Levi's jeans. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, let's do this. Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with super nice Victor Litvinenko of Raleigh Denim Workshop. Victor! Welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. How you doing? Hi, hi. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. It is awesome. It is really awesome. I'm a I'm a big fan of what you and Sarah are up to. I'm a big. I'm a customer. You know, oh, I'm a customer. So I'm gonna put that out there. Uh, what you guys are doing at Raleigh Denim. Uh, so I always ask people where they are. I think we kind of can figure that out. You're in Raleigh, oh, North Carolina. I am right. I'm in my house in Raleigh. Yeah. Are you born and oh, raised? We, What's the Raleigh connection? Yeah, we grew up here. Uh, Sarah was actually born in San Diego and moved here when she was, I mean, her family moved here when she was maybe a year or two old. And I was born in New Jersey, but we moved here when I was a year or two old. And so this is where we grew up. And, you know, we, Sarah and I met in high school. And okay. within 30 minutes of meeting her, I told my best friend I was going to marry her. And Many years later, we did <laughs> get married, <laughs> uh, but we moved pretty quickly. Uh, we moved to New York. Uh, she went to NYU, and I was going to a school in Jersey City and kind of bounced back and forth for a long time, but this is our hometown. That's great. I have not, I've been to a few cities in North Carolina. I have not yet made it to Raleigh. Definitely on my list. Um, also had a local artist uh, on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago, Taylor, Taylor White. Yeah. Oh, yeah, did you end up making her show? I couldn't go, but oh my god, we had so much fun. She actually came over to the shop maybe a month or two ago, and we made a a jacket together for her. Uh, it was so fun to just hang. She's so cool. We just hung out and like made a, a very beautiful like fashion garment for her. Oh, that's great. Well, I heard she yeah. had a super successful opening in the Raleigh's. Uh, downtown city, whatever organization is pretty supportive of the arts and everything, which is great. To oh, hear. yeah. So, yeah. so go yeah. Raleigh. Uh, so yeah. what is Raleigh Denim Workshop? Let's, let's just start there. I'm guessing you make denim. We do. Yeah. So in short, we make pants. Uh, <laughs> but I think the reality is that like it started as more just like a, a directional for creativity. Like it was a, a medium for creativity. Like we were super into all kinds of things. Like I used to cook at some pretty awesome restaurants. I cooked at Nobu in New York, like way back wow. in the day. Wow. Um, like uh, I was into furniture making. Sarah was into, she made dresses and we had a screen printing studio in our house. And I don't know, just like all these different things that kind of melded into like, learning about the history of denim production in North Carolina, connecting dots between winemaking. I used to make wine also uh, between like winemaking and food and fashion and craft and um, quality. Uh, and we realized that there was this incredible history of denim production in North Carolina and that the market was really stale at the time. And I mean, not, not that it's, I mean, it's, 
<laughs> Anyways, we just thought like, hey, let's like make a thing that's of us the way that winemakers do. Like they grow the grapes. It comes from their heads, from their hearts, from their hands. It's it's honest. It's pure. It's true to who they are. Um, and we we kind of wanted to jump into that, like almost as a almost as an art project, almost like not as like we want to start a business or we want to be a denim brand, more just like how do we like squeeze creativity out into the world and like this was a medium that like seemed like a an opportunity for us um the, like the oldest denim mill in the country was in North Carolina there's all this like history and heritage to build from but we could do it in our way in a new way with modern fits and modern detailing and pay respect to the past but have some fun with it too now, when you're growing up in Raleigh, is the the heritage, the craftsmanship, craftspersonship of denim, is that part of just being there? Is that is that all around, like these no. mills? Oh, okay. Not at all. I mean, there's like the ghosts of all the mills, but mm-hmm. it's not like it's, – it's, it's more rooted in like a, a race to the bottom of like cheaper, faster, blah, 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 and that's why they're right. all closed, and it kind of left, you know, a pretty big um, – I don't know, just like gap and hole of of business and life and pride and and quality. Like it's all like you just see it in all the small towns. Like it's gone. Um, right. I think those are the things that we were most interested in. So we said, no, no, let's put that first, and let's go from there. And so we we were like in the beginning, we were like, we don't care how many we make. We're gonna make a hundred, and we're gonna edition number them, and we're gonna sign them, and see if we can turn it into a business. And Barney's. Barney's New York was our first account and it, it grew from there. Um, were you guys into, like, were you denim heads at, at that no, time? No, not at all. Okay. Okay. Interesting. No, I, I was into food and wine. So I was, I made wine for six years and I was really into cooking and, and I knew that I wanted like, I knew that I wanted quality things. Like I was going to buy a knife. I want to buy like a really nice knife. I want to have it for a long time. I'm attracted to this, like the patina of things as you use them. I'm attracted to the way that metal wears and, and, and changes over time of, of tools from generations past of machines of generations past. And I wanted that in my clothing too. And I didn't have that. Like, I mean, I had like things that I bought at thrift stores that were obviously mm-hmm. worn and loved and used, but I didn't understand why I was into that. And so it was more like an exploration of how and why and what. And I started learning about raw denim. I started learning about salvaged denim. I learned that the oldest mill in the country was here. And and the more and more I dug into that, the more and more I became completely obsessed with it. And obsession is the right word. Like, like insanely head over heels in love with this thing that like, I'm going to buy one and I'm going to wear it for five years and it's going to get better every year. And in three years, I'm going to buy another one and I'm going to put it in the rotation and so on. And, and the idea that like I could make a clothing garment better just by wearing it was well, just a, a novel idea to me. It was, it was fascinating. And anybody out there, if you have your favorite, if you're not into denim, salvage denim, but you have your favorite uh, like denim jacket, you know exactly what Victor's talking about. You know, the, the jackets that just wear with time and they become, they tell your stories on them, right? The, they can last. I've had a pair, I'll just say this, I've had a pair 
my longest running Raleigh denim pair, um, I think it was 12 years, a little over 12 years. It is now, I finally, it is now the donor pair. I I cut it to make patches for other pairs. Uh, because the, cr- the the crotch finally completely blew out. The knees were total. I looked at your Hall of Fame today. Yeah. On the site, folks, on Raleigh Denim Workshop, uh, there's a Hall of Fame. And you can see pairs of jeans that are just worn beautifully, right? Some of them are completely, what look like completely destroyed, but are amazing. Others just, you know, like I have a, a money clip that my... Uh, grandfather wore for 40 years in his pocket and my dad wore it for 40 years and so my money clip creates a perfect indentation a little fade spot on the front of my denim and it's like that's my money clip that's my story and it takes a while to get there Uh, the things that you put in your pockets the way you walk the way you're shaped the way you sit all these things form these beautiful autobiographical creases and wear in denim and that's the beauty. That's why people, that's why Victor's on here. Some of us get really into that. And they also understand that in order to get that in your clothes, they have to be of a quality. Um, and typically that quality means they're going to be pretty expensive. And a lot of us don't have a lot of money. But like Victor said a moment ago, these last so long that you, you, you buy one and you wear the heck out of it. And then every few years you introduce another one. And each one is like, bring, I know I'm going on a big ramble here. I apologize, but I get excited about the topic. <laughs> but each one is like bringing home a new puppy almost. Yeah. Like, you know, the last pair of denim I got, I got it. I looked at it. I was excited about it. It was, it's almost ritualistic when I slide it in to the old pairs, you know, on the far right. This is the one that's going to, you know, they're, the, they're much darker than the rest. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a beautiful thing. So you mentioned a word earlier salvage so for those who are whose eyes are glazed over by my ramble just then can you help them glaze a little more by explaining what salvage is okay i'll try <laughs> so, uh, well so it's a it's a way of making fabric um there are looms uh, so so the way that fabric is built is that if you look at the pants that you're wearing the the yarns that are blue that are going up and down your leg uh that's called the warp W-A-R-P, and those yarns are dyed before it's woven. And then the little white specks in between that are going left to right, um, that's called the weft. Um, And the way that fabric is built is that the weft yarn gets, it's it's built one weft yarn at a time. So it's built one yarn, the weft yarn comes back across, comes back across, and every time the warp yarns kind of shift in a way that lock in the, the weft yarn underneath. And so selvage denim is made on looms, usually much older looms, uh, where it's one continuous yarn. So as that yarn goes across from left to right, it just turns around and goes straight back. And that creates a closed edge on the side of the fabric. Modern looms, it shoots it across, it cuts it, and there's a fringe on the side. But um, on these old looms, it creates this edge that, that we use that, that runs down, and, and most people that make selvage denim, uh, that'll run down the out seam. So when you cuff the jean, you see this little stripe down this down the side. So if you look down by your ankle and roll it up just a little, you could see like, oh, there's a, like, usually it's white with like a little bit of red or, or sometimes uh, different brands or companies will add 
uh, different colors there, but that's that's what it is. But really, the int- so that's like structurally what it is. But what those looms actually do is those looms have this inconsistent, but it's consistent inconsistency in it. It's always inconsistent. And in denim, it creates these little flaws or variations. It's almost like looking at water in a way where it's like, it's not perfectly flat. And, and with denim in particular, it's the only fabric where I found that this is the case other than silk, um, Mm -hmm. where like the inconsistencies make it more beautiful. Like you look at the denim and it has these like little micro, like you'll see one yarn a little more than the other, a little this or that. And what ends up happening over time is that the indigo will fade at a different rate. And so as it starts to fade, you see uh, like the the thicker parts kind of pop white because the indigo is chipped off already. The thinner parts are a little darker and you get this depth. I think water is the best analogy I have for like looking into the ocean or looking over a boat into water, uh, that those variations are just, they're captivating. Um, that happens in denim in like a t-shirt or a, an Oxford shirt or a button down. When you see this thing, for some reason it doesn't work. There's something about the indigo plus the inconsistency that just makes it like, I salivate, like, it's like I've smelled something beautiful and my my mouth salivates. Like I, I've talked about like the idea of umami in the past, like of this like mm-hmm. power and this finesse and this like there, I don't know if I have the right word. I don't know if there are the right words in English to describe the beauty of indigo made on selvage looms that has this inconsistency. It's, it's delicious. Um, and it's different. <laughs> And it's not for everybody, but it's like an uber nerdy thing that I'm obsessed with that a lot of people are, but it's, you know, it's just, it's a thing. Uh, it's hard to make. There aren't many looms. It's, it's a strange and beautiful world. I was curious how you were going to try to describe the, the fascination with salvage denim, because I've never been able to successfully do it to any of my friends. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I don't know. They're either like, well, aren't they, don't they cost? Yeah. I and mean, yeah, they do cost more, but they last five times. To- I mean, at least five times longer, you know, they're, they're definitely worth it as an investment, but you have to really mm-hmm. be into the look. You have to be okay with, be into the fact that they're going to, um, be faded and irregular and beautiful. Uh, there's just a patina. If you like patina and things, this is your thing. If you don't, yeah. and you like things crisp and clean then it's not, and that's okay too. But hopefully you can appreciate uh, the craft that goes into this because it's the same kind of dedication that goes into the things that you probably do like. Like Victor mentioned earlier, um, really high quality knives or maybe leather bag, you know, any kind of leather work that you really appreciate that the handcrafted leather work, you may not notice it, but those, those hand stitches are just a bit irregular, even the best ones. And it adds visually something subconsciously that resonates with most of us in a way that um, perfectly machined things, as good as they can be, just don't, right? We sense as humans when humans have touched a thing, I think. That's my theory. But once you start getting into the craft of one thing, usually you're into it in all the rest, right? You start really appreciating, uh, I hate the word, I'm sorry, but artisanal production, right? And, And you might end up owning fewer better things that's it it, yeah fewer Um, better yeah 
Yeah, you're, uh, you're totally right. I mean, the, I think the value proposition for a lot of these things is like buy one of these things instead of two of something else. And, yeah. and you'll get the same kind of lifespan out of it because it's better. Right. And can you overindulge? Yeah. You, there are people uh, that have, yeah. you know, <laughs> dozens of pair of really expensive jeans or shoes that they'll never wear out because they want them to stay pretty dark. You know, yeah, yeah, you can overindulge, but, um, okay. So let's talk about something. We're talking about denim lasting a long time. Uh, and I, I know you've talked about this a lot, but I got to get into it for people who were trying to get excited about this. Um, here's an advantage. Here's an environmental advantage of them. You really don't wash these things very much. Yep. What's that all about? What, what is it about like not washing your jeans and how does people, you know, respond to that? Well, it, it's a it's it, it's a fun thing I think for people to talk about, and I think yeah. the reality of it is uh, has pros and cons. Um, so the um, like the way that I break in a new pair of raw denim is I I usually get I I make myself a pair in September as it's cooling down, and really the truth is like the longer you can go without washing a new pair of raw denim uh, the first time uh, is really where it's important. So indigo adheres to the outside of the yarn. The yarn is a is like natural cotton. Uh, indigo just adheres to the outside. So if you cut a, a yarn in half and you look at it with a um, microscope or something, it's just like the blue is just around the outside. The center is still white. And so as you wear the jeans, wherever it creases, like around your hips, around your knees, uh, wherever it creases, it's getting rubbed, right? And at that crease, the indigo starts to rub off the white. Well, so it loosens up, right? But you right. don't see it right. until you wash it, right? So the longer you can go without washing it the first time, the more contrast you'll have where those creases are. After you wash it the first time, those creases are, I mean, the, that kind of wear pattern is set. Oh. It doesn't really matter at that point. Um, so I'll wear them from like September until about April or May until they get sweaty and stinky. And then I turn them inside out and I wash them and then they change color drastically because a lot of the indigo is loose. Um, but it looks, it's, it's a, it's like a reverse reflection of my muscles, my bones, my shape, what I've done in that year. Um, it's so beautiful. It's so strangely ghostly magical like uh it's hard to describe it's it's awesome and you're wearing this pair how often during a typical week you think when people think september through april like wait is he talking about wearing them once every couple of weeks or you know like oh, I'll, I'll wear mine several days a week often like yeah i would say probably five days a week i'll wear them um yeah i mean mo- most days uh when i'm breaking in a new pair because it's you know they're a little stiff and then they mold to your body and then they hold your shape. Like the way that like a new boot, like, or a new dress shoe or something, like you put it on the first time and you're like, this feels awful. And then two weeks later, the sole kind of molds to your foot. So when you put your foot in a little later, you're like, whoa, this is exactly molded to my foot. Like the same thing happens with the jeans to your body. So like the, that stiffness, that starch, that kind of like is off putting in the beginning then mm-hmm. becomes this like thing that holds your specific shape and it becomes so awesome. Like one week, two weeks down the road, 
one month down the road. Um, it's a, it feels like a little bit of a shell that it softens up and a little bit of an armor, but not too much. I don't, it's awesome. It's awesome. If you can like find the right weight of fabric, like some people go way too heavy. Some people go way too light. I, I think that like 13 ounce to me is where it's at. Like it's 13 ounce fabric is not so abrasive in the beginning. Usually that it doesn't chafe my legs. Uh, right. But it still will last a really long time. Like 13 to 14 is, is really sweet. I mean, people are insane, like for the sake of spectacle and wear 21 ounce denim. Big, heavy Japanese denim. Yeah, yeah. It's, Which is it's, uh... super cool. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm into it, but like I don't wear it. So I don't know. I've gone online and there's all these different people that talk about the best way to wash your denim and all that kind of stuff. For me, maybe this is the wrong way, to, you know, putting them in the freezer, all of that. Um, I just every, I don't even know how long. Sometimes it might, sorry if this sounds gross, folks, but I might wear a pair of jeans for a year before they get washed, but they never smell weird or anything. So maybe I'm just super clean or I'm not working outside in the summer. But periodically, I'll put them in the bathtub with a little bit of uh, white vinegar. Mm. And just dunk them, leave them in there for a couple hours. Yeah. Um, slightly agitate them, rinse them out in cool water. And then I'm done. Is the vinegar thing, like, is that a real thing? Or did I just read that online and took it up? I have no idea. A guy you know? from the Super Nice Club told me about it. And I think it's an awesome idea. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So, I don't know. But they, they seem okay. It seems to work for me. But, uh, you know, you just... I mean, I think there's so... a lot of different ways to do it. Yeah. And I think you can be as nerdy as you want about it. Like, I sometimes will just jump off of a cliff into some... Uh, a body of water, which I think yes. is a really awesome way to wash jeans. And sometimes I just, I just wash them in my washing machine. I mean, they're jeans. It's like, yeah, it, it, you can, you can be as serious or weird about it as you want. And I think that after you get like a little ways in, it, it actually really does help the fabric and, and makes them last longer. And it really brings out some of the beauty of the fabric to wash them. Yeah. Um, so just as we get like deeper into like, should we wash them or not? It's like, I think go as long as you can without washing them. And then once you wash them, like wash them anytime they smell and the oh, yeah. fabric gets more beautiful. It lofts up a little, it, you know, you get the dirt out of it. Like they will last longer if you wash them sometimes. Like, yeah. Not. And definitely wash them if you spill stuff on them, folks. I'm not yeah. saying just like let things cake on. I just, I'm, I'm a very conscientious, neat person when I wear my denim. My shirts on the other hand are always a wreck. I don't know how... I don't know how that works out. I love this. I read in an old interview some words. Uh, it might be the oldest interview posted on your site. I think it's 2008 or something like that. Oh, wow. You said, when my wife Sarah and I started Raleigh Denim, we had no kids, didn't own a house, drove old cars, and really had very little to lose in terms of quantifiable assets. The perfect time to start a business. For quote-unquote startup capital, I sold a video camera, a mountain bike, which brought in enough cash to buy our first three sewing machines from a liquidator, set them up in a living room in lieu of a sofa and chairs. That's awesome. That's like classic to me, just you know, young couple going all in on... Their dream. That is nice work. I love it. What about for those who are listening to that going, yeah, no kids, no debts, blah, blah, blah. How lucky of you. I feel stuck. I'm trapped. If you had to do this starting now, do you think you could pull it off? Do you think your passion know. would be enough? Well, I, I have two things. Can I 
respond first to the thing that you said and then come back to that? If that's, uh, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> your rules. <laughs> um, so I, I actually like I've looked back at that and I, I have a new amendment to that, which is like I, I do say in there that we didn't have anything to lose. But the reality is like looking back 10, 12 years later is that we had everything to lose. We had our future to lose. So we didn't like have any current things to lose because like we didn't really have anything. But like everything that we've done in the past 10, 12 years, every experience that we've had, everything we've learned, all the places we've gotten to go and things we've gotten to do, we would have lost that. And so, so like now when I talk to classes or students, like, you know, for people that are really into it, like whether it's whether I was 27 or 40, you still have everything to lose. You have the future to lose the opportunity of like, if the thing does work and yes, you also have the downside risk of like, if it doesn't, uh, but that's the balance. And so then to come back to your question of like, could I do it now? Or would I do it now? Like, I don't know if I could or would. And, and I think the reality is I probably could, I don't know if I would, and it would be different. And I don't know if it would be better or worse, but, Mm -hmm. but I think the reality is everything to lose is like, well, we'd never know. I mean, when we started the company, I remember talking to Sarah thinking like, if we don't do this now, whenever we're on our deathbed, I don't want to regret not having tried. And I'm okay with the downside part of it. And it's scary and it's hard. And I think those kind of questions and those kind of things are the same at any age. I think anybody can do anything. Like life is long. People say life is short, but the reality is life is long. And and, and I know a lot of people that have been in things for a decade or two decades. And then they say, okay, I'm going to do something new. And it's totally possible. I think it's, it's just about the drive, the passion, the grit, the willingness to learn. Is that different for me right now? Like if I said, I want to go start a blank right now, like, I don't think that's different for me. I don't know if the denim or the company or the clothing would be the same if I started it now. I would hope it wouldn't be, honestly. Like, I think yeah. we have a distinct perspective because of the way we started and, and the way that we learned for better and for worse. Um, I, I love what you said about life is long, something I consider quite a bit. I do feel like life is very long, especially if, at least for me, you can avoid too many habits where your day is too much of an exact same routine. You know, that's, that's when they just whip by. There's, there's obviously advantages to routine and habit in terms of efficiency. There's also the risk that um, Monday becomes Tuesday becomes Friday and June becomes August, you know, awfully quickly if you don't have something where you can remember a day by something different that happened that day. Even if it's something as small as driving or walking home from work a little bit differently, mm-hmm. right? Just taking yeah. a detour, seeing something you hadn't seen before uh, that marks that day separately. So you went into this. This is, I love the fact that you and Sarah, your wife, started this so long ago. You were high school sweethearts. Good for you guys. But you went into a business together. Did you have any, was there any concern way back when? Like, hey, babe, I don't, you know, this could be a lot of pressure on our relationship if we do this together. Did you sort of have any, um, did you go into it with conversations around that? And in the years since, have you guys, let me just shorten this. Do you have any like uh, magical tips to share on, on how to go into a business with your significant other and make it work? Because a lot of people want to know. Well, uh, we thought a lot about it. 
And okay. And we actually like stood in front of each other and like shook hands on this. And we said, our relationship is more important than this business. Our relationship is more important than anything that we're going to do. And our deal that we literally like shook hands on uh, was that if or when either one of us wanted uh, to get out, that the other would agree that there wouldn't be a conversation that like, if I went to Sarah and said, Sarah, this is harming our relationship. We need to stop doing this. She would say, okay. And vice versa. And the reality is like over the, you know, since 2007, when we started, we had been through some shit, like some fucking crazy shit. That's really hard. And we've dealt with it and we've talked about it and things have been hard and things have changed roles, responsibilities, physically where we are. We had a store in New York for five years. We had an apartment there. We, I'm on the road a lot. Like it's not easy and it's not as pretty as like we share. We're strategic about the things that we share. Like it's not, it's hard. Right. But I think the open and honest communication and uh, like not getting too, not neither of us like getting too wrapped up in ego of what it is and that like agreement from way back then still stands. And that's been helpful for us. Um, but like, in all honesty, we go to marriage counseling and we have mm-hmm. for years and years and years and years. And that helps. And I think what it's helped is just to be like open about communication and, and open to listening. I mean, what relationship doesn't get better with those things? So, I mean, we're not perfect and it's not easy. And, and we get through it together. And that's what we've kind of promised to each other. And that's what we've done. Um, I love that. So, I love so that far, so good. And I love just being open about, about counseling, you know, yeah. about, especially like for me, I recently went to what I would call proactive counseling. Mm-hmm. because I didn't really have anything going terribly wrong, but I was feeling myself getting, and maybe it was COVID, I was just feeling myself not able to really focus in the same way that I usually do. I'm usually really focused so I can handle a lot of projects at once. I, mm-hmm. I do Super Nice Club. I work uh, freelance creative direction. I write scripts. You know, I do all kinds of things that, that are different mindsets and I'm able to juggle through, but I found myself getting sort of short um, with friends and family, Mm. Um, what is it, reacting rather than responding, things Mm -hmm. like that. Not terribly, not like anybody's calling me out, but I noticed it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm like, what's going on? So I actually, for the first time in my life, you know, I just like, I'm going to go just talk to somebody Mm -hmm. before this gets worse, before it becomes noticeable, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I did. And we just talked. Just that, you know, I think just the, when you're paying somebody, to talk with them, you take it a little more seriously than when you talk with Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Right? You know, stuff that you pay for is, is more valued than stuff that you get for free, usually. That's just the having skin in the game. Yeah. And so that was proactive. It's something that I thought, God, that's great. I should do that when I can moving forward. And then I talked about it with a lot of my friends. Um, and I'm talking about it on this podcast now. Like, yeah, yeah. it's counseling. It, you know, it's cool. It's helpful. I know it's paid dividends in in my relationship uh, and my relationship with my kids and everything. I'm a a big believer. Yeah. My my experience has been that like you get out of it what you put into it. Nobody's going to fix anything for you. They're there to just listen. Like you got to do the work and it's not. Yeah. You've got to hold yourself accountable. Yeah. 
Well, uh, I'm glad you guys are making it work selfishly because I get to be stocked with awesome denim. You know? So <laughs> you guys better keep it together. I've got oh. nowhere else to go surfing for like dead stock or something or like uh, <laughs> not to use pairs on eBay. I don't want to have to go down that road. So stay yeah. together. Keep going to counseling. Need it to happen. <laughs> I want to, we have a, a number of people in the Super Nice Club that are, there's a subset, there's a little subset that are really into tools and machinery and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of them are electricians and you know who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, can we talk real quick about where you guys source your, your gear from? You have, your sure. ba- I mean, it's, I'm just guessing some of your stuff could be almost a century old. Yeah. Yeah? Some of it is. When we started, we were living in this like pretty shitty apartment. Our rent was $400 a month and our net income combined that year was $11,000. Like we had no money and like we didn't have right. investors or funding from family or anything. Like we were really bootstrapping. And so I, I bought a couple of sewing machines that were really old and I bought multiples of them. So I was able to like buy the machines for a hundred dollars each or something, but I would buy two or three of the same machine and then take parts, rebuild. Um, <clears throat> and I think that our, industry as a whole was in this like race to the bottom like cheaper faster uh, Mm -hmm. for a long time and for good reason i don't i don't like um i mean i I think there was like a different time of scarcity that we have not lived in that like maybe our grandparents generation did that like that we don't know about and and Mm -hmm. so i don't i don't want to like judge it but i do know that what i'm interested in is quality uh less and better. Um, and, and so as I was building, as we were building the first pairs of pants and the first things, it was just this like exploration of, of craft. And, and I was having to buy all these old machines, but then the more I learned about them, the more I fixed them, the more I found out about them. Like some of the older machines make a more beautiful stitch. They're not as fast as the newer ones, or they're Mm -hmm. not as something but like some of them are better and then like right. i mean for 10 years all i did was like find machines fix them learn about them hang out with really old dudes in their garages up in the mountains who taught me how to i mean there's like there wasn't a school for this there wasn't even videos online when we started for how to fix things i mean or how to make like uh it was really just through these like informal apprenticeships with mechanics up in the mountains of North Carolina. And, and so I would like buy these machines that fix, I try and fix them. And when I couldn't fix them, I would call these dudes. I would just go to some little town to the little diner and say, there was a factory here. Who was the dude that fixed machines? And like, I would find them and, yeah. and it was so cool. And so, I mean, our Hemming machine is this union special 43, 200 G that like is kind of like a Holy grail machine in denim. There's like, I don't, maybe all that we know of is like 40 to six, <clears throat> forty to 60 machines in the world. And mm-hmm. we're one of the only companies that I know of that actually does production that uses these machines. And so we have a couple of those from the 1930s. Uh, there's our, our buttonhole machine is a Reese 101. It was built in the 1940s. It was proprietary technology. Like you could not buy them. They only leased them. And they have these counters on the side of the machine that counts the stitches and it goes up to a billion. And every week they come by and like 
read it like your water meter and you pay per stitch. Oh, and wow. It makes the most beautiful buttonhole in the world. And yeah, I, I mean, there's just like, there's some things like that, that I'm looking at my buttonhole right now. All right. Yeah. As a little red thread hidden underneath, like if you look inside the buttonhole, there's a little red thread in there. Um, I, I get like really weird and nostalgic about uh, like the machines like that because that, that, they were built in America in this time of like this golden era of manufacturing in America where made in America meant something. It meant quality. Mm-hmm. It meant like the best shit in the world was being made here. And yeah. I love using those machines from that era to build jeans through our lens now with a very similar idea. Like we're trying to make the best. We're not trying to make the fastest. We're not trying to make the cheapest. We're not, that's not, I'm not interested in that. I'm not trying in even, not even interested in recreating the past, but I love building from that, like that ethos with the physical thing, (laughs) like from 19, like that was built during world war two. It's just, it's yeah. bonkers. Like to me, that it is. It's yeah, some level it. of history that we have that's fascinating. And you've had to learn how to fix these things. You've had to find, I love the story, you know, in the diner, finding the person. It reminds me, one of my dearest friends, Larry. Um, and uh, he's one of the world's finest leather craftspeople. Um, he used to make his own bags and two year, three year waiting list for his product until wow. Apple hired him and you know he had to go and find these old guys uh in europe that had the the skills and they were so happy to have him and i imagine it must have been the same for you they were probably so happy that you came to them and said hey i want to learn these skills because they were afraid that they were gonna die with them yeah right am i was there some of that for you absolutely i i don't know if they like I mean, they were so happy when I came. I don't even know if these guys that I knew even thought about like the skills dying with them. I think they were just so surprised that somebody of a different generation was so into what they were doing, was willing to come like hang out in their garage. Like, I mean, I remember this one guy in Thomasville, North Carolina, and I like I had a machine that I couldn't fix. It was for our first order for Barney's, and I put it in the back of our car and i drove there and this dude is like i I don't know how old he was he was probably in his late 80s and we just sat in his garage like full of crap and he just put it on there and he showed me how to fix it and he even just like he couldn't actually do it like he talked me through it and he was like do this put your fingernail there do this look for this and he like he really taught me and it was just a it was such a special moment, but I, I have sought out those kind of informal, I call them informal apprenticeships where like, I want to learn from a, from a person. And, and this is how I learned pattern making. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but our, our pattern maker, she's now in her late eighties. Her name's Crystal Ellsberg. And she was the pattern maker at, at Levi's in the sixties and seventies. And oh, okay. she opened up all of their factories across the South and in Puerto Rico in that time. And, and she just found us one day when we were in a a warehouse with no heat and no windows uh, in a pretty rough part of town. And she walked in with her resume and was like, I heard you make jeans here and had to come see for myself. And she handed me her resume and she was like, I, she was like, I want to work here. And I was like, we don't even pay ourselves. We can't 
we can't hire you. And she said, I'll work for free until you can. Because she was just wanting to do the work that she was a master of. And, And she and I spent three to six hours together every single work day for 10 years. And, and after that, she said, you know, when, I mean, at that time I was probably, I don't know, 37. She said, by the time you're 50, you might be, if you work this hard, uh-huh. by the time you're 50, you might be a decent pattern maker. Like that's where her standards were. <laughs> Did you take that as a compliment or like, God, I'm not doing well enough. Oh, no, no, I absolutely took it as a compliment. But but also, like, my other reference point, because I never went to school for any of this. So yeah. uh, we ended up doing a collaboration with Patagonia a few years ago, and, like, they brought their pattern maker, and I ended up making all the patterns for this collaboration we were working on. I was like, if I can hang with the pattern maker at Patagonia, I'm doing, like, I'm doing okay. Like, I'm getting there. Like Yeah. And yeah. I, I just loved her, though. But, like, Chris is, like dedication to detail and craft and that like like she knows how obsessed I am and how hard I, I mean I worked with her like at at a level that I've never focused or, or been able to work in my life and she's like yeah you're you're on the right path is, is the way I took that because like okay I get it that's your your long-term informal apprenticeship I'm going to put out a, a super nice club challenge to any of the uh, hundred millionaire or billionaires who are listening right now here's the challenge I want you and your friends, if you don't feel like you can pull it off on your own financially. But I don't think it would cost more than, you want an endowment. I'm going to say $100 million just to do it right. Let's, or will you please create a university that is just dedicated to teaching all of these crafts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the most incredible leather skills, denim skills, um, tool, maintenance, repair, all of the old skills that people did by hand Mm -hmm. that you can become a true you know you might want to say artist or craft craftsperson is not an insult by the way a true craftsperson that is a hell of a compliment Mm because it can take like you're saying 30 years to learn that craft right Mm -hmm. so just like let's call it the university of craft Mm -hmm. but for real and we're going to pay these 80 year olds that are out there six figures okay we're going to pay them well to teach interested people how to do these, how to fix the tools, how to maintain the tools, how to build replacement tools, all right? That's that's another whole part of it. And then we'll launch that university, all right? Super Nice Club doesn't need to be part of it at all. We're just, you know, we're just throwing it out there. That's the challenge. What do you think? You up for that? I love this idea. Would you put in some hours as a teacher? Absolutely, absolutely. Great. all right. And you know what's yeah, yeah, funny we'll about the, the 80-year-olds, though, is that, like, the money's not interesting to them. Like, they don't need it. Right, for like, the kids. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I think yeah. the interest is more just, like, to be valued and to be connected. And I think, uh, like, our culture does not value our elders the way that other cultures have and do. And that could be just a beautiful way to to celebrate our history. It's not my idea. That's that's Larry's idea. That's Larry Olmsted's idea, by the way. He's been he's been wanting to do it up in, for a long time, he wanted to do it up in Oregon and get some of the old saddle makers that are up there because mm. that's another group that just has a bunch of skills yeah. you know, to make saddles by hand. You have to know more than just leather work. You've got to know yeah. a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're listening and you're a billionaire or friends with one or dating one, you know, or work for one, 
maybe throw the idea out there, see if it sticks. You know, there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of them out there. So there are, yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's let's see if we can't get them doing something amazingly cool. Oh, and before I forget, before I forget, I want to thank. I'm pulling. I'm literally pulling my pants down right now. <laughs> but uh, but Victor can't see this because it's close up. I want to thank. Oh no. Oh, here we go. Uh, is this right? Nancy Alvarez? Yeah, yeah. I want to thank Nancy Alvarez for making the pants that I'm wearing right now. Every oh. pair of Raleigh denim is signed by the maker. Now, does that mean that she made them A to Z? No, no. I mean, we okay, make them in small mean? batches. And what yeah. we do is each of our jeansmiths will take like a batch and sign the full batch. And then the next person will okay. sign the next full batch. But no, we don't make them like from beginning. Like one person doesn't right. make it beginning to end. We yeah, yeah. Because there's, I mean, it's so 40 different Nancy, Nancy took responsibility for this pair. Yeah. Right, well, yeah. I and she has great just... penmanship, by the way. She does. Great she signature. a great signature. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so in the very beginning, Sarah and I made every single pair, and we hand-signed every single pair, and then we hired two yeah. people, and we hired two people, and we were like, well, we're not making every pair, and we want every single person that's involved in this process to take as much pride in every single stitch. And like, how do we do that? And we're like, well, like, put your name on it. Like, this is your gene just as much as it is, I mean, to our sewers. It's like, like, Nancy, like, this is not just ours. This is not just mine. This is not just a Raleigh Denim gene. This is yours. And it really changed the way that we make things. And I think it changed our quality, like, for the better times a million. Like, it's, you can feel the everything that we make is made with love and it's made with care. And I mean, in our shop, like we don't pay by the piece. We, mm -hmm. we pay a, a good living wage to every single person that works in our shop. And if they work on one pair of jeans per hour or a hundred jeans per hour, they're going to get paid the same amount. And the point is do it right. Let's make it right. If we make it right, uh, we'll still be here. That is a beautiful, beautiful labor practice. I'm going to, Throw out another one of my my uh, commie theories that that people I'm going to lose some people over, but you know, great labor practices where you're paying a true living wage. Of course, the end product is going to cost more, and the margins are going to be lower for the people making them, even with the the, the higher price. Okay, because labor is just such a big part of doing business. To those who say, well, you know, X business would go out of business if they had to pay more than fair living wages, I say that's a business that should probably go out of business then. We should only have products and businesses around that can pay a fair living wage. Mm -hmm. We won't shut down. Our economy won't dissolve. We'll just have a different economy mm -hmm. where people make more money and we probably have fewer shitty things that we don't need. Right? Amen. So, Drop the mic. Um, <laughs> again, that's why I appreciate uh, what you guys do. I also appreciate it environmentally. There are big wins with fewer, better, higher quality when it comes to the, the materials that you use, when it comes to just the reduction of waste, when it comes to having machine, like think about the means of production that have been around for almost a century versus buying a bunch of new gear that breaks down a lot more. I want to thank you for that. It's just what you do. Mm -hmm. It's just what you're part of. Uh, the like sustainability part is like and how much and what we share and how we talk about it is like a hard thing for me to wrap my head around because I think that it gets 
I think those terms get abused in the industry right now. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and there's only so much we can do, you know, like we are a small company, like, uh, we don't, but we did work with farmers in North Carolina at some point in time to grow the first crop of certified organic cotton ever grown in North Carolina. We had it completely processed within North Carolina. It has the smallest carbon fo- footprint of almost any gene that I know of, or actually any gene I know of. I mean, we're like right. proving that these things are possible. It's it's hard for us to do them at that kind of depth and level all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily want us to be viewed as a quote, sustainable brand from a marketing standpoint because right. I think that's just the right thing to do. And so our, our mission is to be as environmentally, socially, economically sustainable as we can at any given scale that we're at. And so we are always reassessing those things and, and addressing those things. And I think hopefully encouraging bigger companies with more resources to, to do more of it. Well, let's talk about that word that you just used real quick because it's, it's thrown out all the time, which was scale, right? I can hear some people saying, well, cool what they're doing, but you can never scale that to, and I, you know, make millions of pairs of jeans for, you know, a whole population. And the answer is you're right. And that's awesome. It's better to have a thousand small quality denim manufacturers than it is to have two. What's more resilient for a local economy? right? Uh, you can take the practices. They don't have to scale. Scaling isn't everything, folks. There is such a thing as right. being a certain size and call it good, mm-hmm. right? And it being so, amazing and awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What are your plans in, in an economy and in a world where if you don't grow, you kind of die? How do you guys, you know, what I are don't your believe thoughts that, on that? Though. I don't believe that. So like in my heart, I want to wake up and make the coolest shit I can make every day. Like it's a compulsion. I don't do that because I like will myself to do that. It's just like, is what I do. I've always done it. I'm going to continue to do it. I don't care if it's like just me making jeans by myself. I don't care if Mm -hmm. it's at like us selling $6 billion of jeans a year. Like the money is not the point. Like I think the interest in scale to me is how do we make a better thing? How do we do it right? How do we treat, people better? How do we treat the earth better? How do we consume things in a more mm, sustainable way? Uh, And I think that those things are, quote, scalable, like whether we do it, or if it's 100 smaller producers, or if it's too bigger, like, I am interested in making or being a part of a conversation or part of a manufacturing system that is producing more to have an impact. Like impact is the interest for me. And I think at our scale and starting up from nothing in a kind of nowhere land, just proving that some things are possible, proving that small manufacturing is possible, proving that manufacturing in America is possible, proving that growing organic cotton is possible. But we can go down the list. There's more. Right, right, right. And no, I don't have the means. So the billionaires and gazillionaires out there that want to help like have a positive impact on the denim and clothing industry, like I'm in, I'm ready. We're ready. There's a lot of opportunity out there. The, the big companies out there are just, I think, shooting themselves in the face over and over by continuing to do the, I honestly, I think it's bullshit that, 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 that that's been happening over the last 50 years. 
it's gross to me. It's disgusting. It's, it's wrong. And we're all buying into it because we don't know enough about it. There's not enough transparency. So there's like this huge opportunity for transparency and honesty. Absolutely. And so folks, like, now you're getting why I hope you're hearing here why I, I've, I strongly feel that, that Victor and Sarah and what they're doing is part of a super nice, that, that 10% nicer world, right? Uh, small business owners like Sarah and Victor have this passion and energy to do it the right way that just, just need our support. You know, they just need our support and it takes telling the story and telling the story and telling the story because you know what? Raleigh Denim isn't being featured in the next uh, Tom Cruise film, product placement. They're not, you know, on billboards all over the world. Their stories aren't being told in a, in a ads everywhere. It's, it's almost like we're, we're being molested with ads, folks. I'm going to yeah, use it. It's that strong, right? True. But we have small podcasts like this one and others. Uh, Raleigh does, does collaborations with really cool brands and with really cool artists. So it's just getting the word out there. And mm-hmm. that is amazingly effective. I wish there was something... When we have authors on, and I really love the books, we offer a um, money-back guarantee. Like if you buy the book, you don't like it, Super Nice Club will buy it back from you because we'll just give it out to somebody because mm-hmm. you know, we believe in the book. I can't do a money-back guarantee on Raleigh Denham, but uh, we should do something. What can we do? Let me think. I'm just going off the cuff here. Um, RaleighDenhamWorkshop.com. If you take the risk. If you love, if you're hearing and you, it resonates with you, what Victor is saying about these and, and you you don't even know what the salvage denim thing is, but you're like, I want to try it out. Try it out. And if you don't, if you're just like, these suck. I hate these. These pants are dumb. Well, we pay um, for the return. So like, Oh, you pay for the return? Free, free, okay. For, okay. Free so it's free anyway. But if that is a pain in the butt for you, and you're like, man, I wasted my time. Todd and Victor were full of shit. And now I have to re- take these back. I will send you any Super Nice Club shirt or hat that you want as a as an apology for wasting your time. Now, this is on the honor system, all right? This is the total honor system. You can abuse it if you want. This is like a way to get free gear from a very, very small company. Uh, but you just know that you'll put me out of business. Um, my kids won't eat. You know, it'll be a problem. No, seriously. If if you think that this is that these jeans don't work for you, Super Nice Club wants to stand behind uh, this company, and we'll send you something. You know, we'll send you a shirt. We'll send you a hat. All right. That's that's our Super Nice Club guarantee for Raleigh Denim Workshop. So Amazing. give it a whirl. I'm not telling you to go buy a pair of pants if you don't need them, but if you happen to need some denim, you have shirts too. Yeah. Hats. If you happen yep. to need something, go get it. We stand behind it 100%. I oh. do want to talk about, because I just brought it up, um, the artists and the bands and the collaborations. You guys do oh. a lot of cool stuff with music. Well, you did before COVID. Get into yeah. that a little bit, your support for the arts. Oh, It's like it's like purely and honestly a connection to passionate and creative people. Like I'm um, attracted to creative people that are that are really like – taking some risks uh and some of them are like my neighbor that nobody knows and some of them are some pretty famous people like to me it's it's just this like who's being creative and who's being honest and who's putting it out there and i mean when when people that i respect are coming through town i reach out to their managers i reach out to to them directly and invite them to the shop to hang just to connect and you know when they have time uh, just as I've invited you, like I'll invite them to come hang for like 
some amount of time and make something together and, and be yeah. creative together and and just connect in, in a real pure honest creative way and and that's gone a really long way like people like yeah. and they tell their friends about it and when bands are coming through or when writers or artists or musicians or whatever uh, I mean sometimes it's scientists and sometimes it's I, I think I'm just like I'm just so into like hanging out with people that are wholeheartedly into what they're doing in an honest way um, mm -hmm. and it's been it's been really cool and really fun to to meet and and be able to connect with so many different people I mean all over the world like I mean, on any given day, half the people that come into the store are from out of town uh, yeah. because somebody told them about it and they're like, hey, you have to check this out. And they're in town for three days. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I put a piano in the store. I have a, like my guitar from high school in the store and my, my tube amp, my PV Classic 30 amp that my mom helped me buy in high school in the shop. And people come, they play and we will like... We do like these little micro concerts where it's all candlelit in the shop or, um, I mean, artists will come and work in the shop while we're doing, I mean, it's a creative space. Yeah. I, I think about it. It's amazing. You also have the best bonding tool that's ever been invented in my opinion. Well, ne the second best, the best obviously is a pinball machine, but <laughs> you have, you have a basketball hoop. Oh my god! Right? Yeah, we play. Do you still have? You have a hoop, right? Not in the shop, but we. No, but we yeah. play a lot. Yeah, like when um, Arcade Fire came through, when Butler really wanted to play ball. And yeah, how good is Win Butler at basketball? He's really good. Is he? Oh, damn. Yeah, right. we had fun. Okay, I yeah. do not challenge you, Win. If. <laughs> And then I got I'm to too play, old. I got to play with Tyler Hansborough a couple weeks ago too. Oh, did so, you? That's so just pretty fun. Uh, so I you're pretty know. good. Do you do you, you play? I I play a lot. Like I play with uh -huh. my whole heart, and I think that's yeah. my my asset in in sport and in business is that uh, I'm okay. I didn't grow up playing basketball. I played soccer. Right. Um, do you use your elbows or your ass more? I don't really have an ass. It's like. And the elbows are elbows? sharp. I don't know. Yeah, my, I, look at these. I mean, seriously. <laughs> uh, I've, I've accidentally taken out some people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I saw something. I think that's why I saw something that Arcade, that Wynn had played basketball. Oh, there. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I've been on the road, and it's like, when I'm on the road, it's like there's something about just, like, doing something normal that is so sweet. So, like, I invite everybody into our shop, and I treat it like a living room and order food and hang out. Or I invite them over to my house. Or if you want to play basketball, let's go play basketball. Like, I can just chill. I think that's just a hard thing to find on the road. And it's an easy thing for me to like share, you know, while people yeah, are and when, when bands are on the road, what a great little break from yeah. that, that life. You know, my, my good friend, Corey, he's my writing partner on a script right now. Uh, he had a band back in the day, Swords Project. And he took, they took Arcade Fire out on the road with them, like their first uh, big tour. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was just like, it, he's like, that was the first and only band that ever just upstaged us from be, from go. You know, it was before they were signed. He's like, I was calling every label saying, you got to sign these guys. Wow. Um, and uh, the magic was was there from from the beginning, you know. Yeah. And he, what I hear is they're just all like the best, the best folks. So how oh, yeah. cool is it that you get to have the best folks come in, super talented, uh, and you share that passion, whether you're a musician or an electrician. Hey, everybody. Or an athlete. A lot of athletes are into are in the club. 
or you know you're making denim it's it's a common passion and you all have to take a leap of faith at some point yeah you know if you're a band you've got to go live the van life mm-hmm. for a while while all your friends and family are saying good luck with that mm-hmm. you're gonna go all in on a denim company i'm sure it wasn't like hey man we're gonna get this is gonna pay the bills real fast right oh you've got to take a huge huge leap of faith to make that happen and i am always just so wildly impressed hmm. just wildly impressed when that can work out yeah what would your vision of a nicer world look like what's what's a big part of that for you i it's a tough question so it's just like if did, did anything flicker in front of your what was the first thing that just like tickled your brain well the right? first thing that i did uh is i took yeah. a deep breath and I was going to say that as like, you were talking about like how people and like we have, I mean, you were talking about yourself, but I, I too have been reactionary in my life. And I found that like taking a deep breath, it does wonders and it does allow me and make me a lot nicer. Um, sometimes I think that just taking a deep breath is enough. Like I think we're all pretty good hearted people. I mean, we, we have a little farmhouse way out in the country and a very different kind of setting than, than Raleigh and everyone we meet out there is so sweet and so amazing. And everyone that we meet in Raleigh is so sweet and so amazing. We've lived in New York and in Europe and in Central America. And I think people are in their heart nice. And I think that we have these like defense mechanisms and reactions that that pull different parts of us out. And that sometimes a deep breath, two seconds, allows us to kind of recenter. That's the first thing that right. came to mind. I know, I, it's beautiful. Breath is important, slowing down, uh, responding, not reacting. It's such a big lesson for me that I'm still failing half the time. But it used to be three out of four times. It used to be mm-hmm. nine out of 10 times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, there's, there's incremental progress. Along the lines of this idea that people are inherently good, sometimes it can be hard to remember that. Sometimes it can be hard to agree with that. Mm-hmm. There's a book by a, a Dutchman, Rutger Bregman, called Humankind, and I just read it. And in fact, I'm going to send you a copy because I've ordered awesome. a number of copies just to give to people because I'm such a believer in it. Uh, Super Nice Club listeners, I'm going to I'm going to give away some as well. So. I'll give one. I'll give one away right now. First person who listens to this and wants to read a book that will really, really remind you that humanity is essentially out for good, and things like Lord of the Flies and the Stanford Prison Experiment are complete bullshit. Uh, first person that messages me on Instagram asking for the book, I will send you a copy. That's, That's awesome. an easy. That's an easy competition. You don't have to do anything, dress like a clown, and then tag anything or whatever our silly <laughs> contests are like. No, just just message me. You know, if you want to dress like a clown as well while you're messaging me, cool. I just don't want to see a picture of it. I don't. It's just it's creepy. Um, all right. So you have uh, new jeans coming out. You have some new collaborations coming out. Shoes and knives. What yeah. What do you got? Yeah, yeah, I want to so hear about shoes, that, especially uh, the knives. Well, let's go. We'll start with shoes. So, so the shoes okay. are um, my friend Justin James. At, uh, he's got a company called Opie Way, and he's based uh, in Western North Carolina near Asheville. O p i e w a y. O p i e. Yeah, and okay. Two words. that dude is so legit. He's a sneakerhead. 
um, he called me five, like, me I'm guessing four or five years ago. And he said, Hey, I'm super inspired by what you're doing. I want to start a shoe factory. And I said, dude, you're insane. And he said, yeah, I know. I was like, you probably shouldn't do this. And he was like, yeah, I know, but I'm going to do it. And I was like, cool. Well, keep me in the loop. If I can help holler at me, I'm here. I'm happy to share all the horror stories and, and share any suggestions I have. And we've become really good friends. And the level of shoes that he is making by hand, uh, just himself, uh, as he, or I guess now it's he, he, his wife, I think they may have one employee is, is just remarkable. Uh, I don't know of anyone. Oh my God. These are great. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Opway.com. Um, hundred percent made in the USA. These are gorgeous. They're all right. I'll, there'll be a same. link to this company in the show notes, folks. These are, I'm a sneakerhead too. I mean, I, it's probably, I think most people that are into salvage are also into shoes yeah. because you gotta, <laughs> they draw a lot of attention to the shoes, you know? Um, these are beautiful. The Campus, quality is spectacular. He's a, yeah. he's a really, 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 really nice guy. And we've just become really good friends. So we started working on a shoe together last year and we put it out. We sold out in a day and um, we're working on the next one already. So that's super cool. And then um, we're going to be moving into a new building um, probably at the end of this year. And a guy that had a shop in that building um, has a company called horn and heel uh duncan he's a unbelievable knife maker um and and he and i have been hanging out become pretty good friends been talking a lot about knives and i used to cook at, at nobu in new york and pretty obsessed with cooking and um he's pretty into denim too so we're we're getting into that that'll be coming out later this year we're gonna do a horn and heel mm-hmm Horn and heel. Awesome. He just moved to Nashville uh, last week. Um, but his knives are off the charts. Like, you can tell that they're handmade. You can tell that they're... Mm -hmm. like The way he designs them shows how they were made in a way. And the balance, the feel, the... Like, I want one of his knives and nothing else in my life. Ooh, look at these handles. Great logo too. The HH yeah. with the crossing blades. These are super, oh wow, yeah, super super nice, dude. I doubt that I can afford these knives, and oh, it doesn't matter. I don't have to worry about it because they're all sold out. Oh my <laughs> god, way to go, crushing it. God, uh, actually, considering what's going on with these, they're not that. I mean, you know, no, they're they're, they're expensive, but they're not they're not wildly. I mean, they're not. Wow, these are great. Hornandheel.com. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get another job just to keep up with <laughs> this amazing stuff. Seriously. These knives are beautiful. These, any sneaker heads out there, opway.com, these, these James court sneakers. Oh, so good. <sighs> these are so, these are good looking. And I have, I'm a, I'm a sneaker head, but I often, you know, go on eBay and get like used ones that I rehab, you know, cause I like the vintage ones. Um, and then I kind of meticulously will go through and rehab them and then destroy them by wearing them. <laughs> uh, well, because old shoes, old sneakers, they, they break down. The structure doesn't yeah. necessarily last for a long time. You know, once you start wearing them again. Oh, yeah. The um, rubber wears out. Yeah. They go out. But I'm like, it's okay. Whatever. You know, they cost me like 30 bucks and a yeah, few yeah. hours of time to make yeah. them look good, you know. Um, 
And then uh, I give them a last hurrah. I consider yeah. it like a, a favorite. And then, you know, I kind of like talk to them and stuff. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I have these intimate relationships with my sneakers and my jeans. So I'll like, I'll take my jeans off the rack and be like, all right, so uh, today we're going to have a good day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love There's that. There's probably a mental health issue that's peeking through there, but whatever. Oh, no, no I think that's like the most beautiful yeah. part of like fashion. I think this is why we're obsessed with fashion. Is that it can change your outlook on the day. Like when you wake up and you put those jeans on and you're like, fuck yeah, let's go. There's nothing cooler than that. To me, that's the capital F of fashion. It, yeah. So the other question you're asking about is new jeans. The new jeans uh-huh. that I'm, I, I'm maybe more excited about this jean than any jean we've made in years is a new women's selvage jean. It's a Stokes. Stokes is the fit. Higher rise, wide leg. It's cropped. It's a pattern I've been working on for six months. It's the one I've probably spent the most time on in, in over a decade, probably since the Jones. Like, mm-hmm. We just released our first 100 pairs last week. It's incredible. It's the first women's selvage gene that we've released in over five years. Um, that's one that I don't even have is the word. Is that your first high rise? No, the Haywood is, is a high rise, rise women's your leg, and we've done that okay. for a while, and we've done a higher rise straight leg, but this is the first selvage women's gene that we put out in ages and they are so beautiful. Um, I've been fitting them on people in New York in Raleigh on the West coast. Uh, I've been sending them out to like farmers. It kind of has this like Japanese hmm. farmer kind of vibe to it. So I've been sending it to some farmers and woodworkers and, uh, Sarah wears them out on our farm. And, uh, but it also has this very like, fashion silhouette to it i'm really excited about those i don't know the the style is right for this moment and it's so cool to kind of put some of these unbelievably awesome selvage fabrics that we've had and we've been making for men for so long into a jean that like an 18 year old and a 70 year old woman can wear and feel awesome in uh but also get to break in and and kind of enjoy in in the way that we have on the men's side for so long and what's that line called again? What's the model? Uh, the, the fit is called Stokes. Stokes. Okay. Stokes. We're stoked about the Stokes. Stokes. So I, I, I'm not a woman. I, don't, I haven't tried the Stokes on, but if uh, you try them and you don't like them, which isn't going to happen, but if it did, just remember, it could let me know. I, I, will, I will send you uh, a sweet, super nice club shirt as a, <laughs> as a way to salve your, your wounded expectations, right? Oh. Um, I have so many questions, but we got to kind of get cut into the chase here. But I did want to, I love this. I read this and I don't, I don't want to send you down a big rabbit hole, but you said if our workshop went up in flames, the hand-drawn grade rules are the thing I'd grab. Yeah. The thing, the one thing you would grab is the one thing that 999 out of a thousand people have never heard of, probably even fewer, a hand-drawn grade rule. What's, what's that all about? Why is it so important? Oh my God. Okay. So we are going to go down a rabbit hole. So just bear with me for a second. The reason, (laughs) like, I mean, the reason. If you have the time, that's fine. Oh, sure. Sure. I got all day, man. I'll hang out with you forever. I want to, I want (laughs) to, I want to learn why a hand-drawn grade rule is so super nice. Well, and, and so like to be, to be like completely honest, it's like the hand-drawn part isn't necessarily like the most important part. Um, It's that like we're not using these standard grade rules. And and so if you just like take a deep breath, close your eyes for a second, like release the like connection that you might have to a garment where you think about fabric or you think about a detail or you think about a thing, like 
from a brand standpoint, like from the opposite perspective, it's like I'm trying to fit a lot of different people. Like you're 50, I'm 40, 30-year-olds wear jeans, 20-year-olds wear jeans, 70-year-olds wear jeans. And even just on the guy's side, like what was your body like at age 20? What was it at 30, 40, 50, 60, 70? The way that, and, and then whatever size you are or were. And let's say that like, like my goal is to make a pair of jeans that when people put them on, they say, fuck yeah, let's go. I'm ready. Like you wake up on the wrong side of the day. You want to get going. You want to be confident. You want to have something that has molded to your body. But like a guy, a really thin guy, size 29, proportionally, the pocket size, the front pocket size, the taper the or the way that it fits should, I want that guy to feel the same as a guy who wears a size 38 or a size 40. I want that guy to put it on and I want proportionally that guy to feel and look the same, right? So, so it's not like, like for every inch of waist that increases, your hip doesn't increase at the same rate. Your thigh doesn't increase at the same rate. Your knee and your ankle surely don't. So then yeah. our literal business is a study of the human form from all size. I mean, not all size. We don't hit every size, but like from the sizes that we're, we're selling most. Uh, from which is like 29 to 38 or 40. Um, right. Sorry, my cat is, if you hear her, that's, uh, she uh, wants to be a part of the What's conversation. Um, so it's like, it becomes a study of anatomy of the human form in many sizes and many ages. And then on the women's side, it's, it's different, Right. So men, like their bellies get bigger, but their hips don't necessarily get bigger. Women, their hips and thighs get a little bigger in like different than men. And so grade rules are our grade rules are things that we've learned over a decade of fitting people in our store where um, I mean, every single day we're putting jeans on different people, different sizes, different ages. And every time I look at somebody I'm like, is that proportionally right? Oh, well, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. And we go back and we adjust the grade rules and we go back and adjust mm. the grade rules and we go back and adjust the grade rules thousands of times. And so it's like these thousands of revisions of the grade rules where, where I know that all the sizes are fitting proportionally, where I know that like if a teeny tiny person comes in or a bigger person comes in, that they're going to put them on and they're going to look awesome, that it's not going to be this like, I, what ends up happening is you put in like <clears throat> some standard grade rule, uh, and then, like, the further you get away from that sample size, the more out of proportion it gets. And, I mean, we all know this. We try on clothes from other brands. You find, like, a brand that, like, that size fits us well and we, like, with it forever. But my goal is, like, I want every size that we make to be that for that person. And so it's hard to talk about because it's deeper and it's, like, it's not an easy thing. It's, like, it's easy to say, oh, our jeans fit. But, like, ours fit because we've done a thousand revisions like we put in however god knows i mean ten thousand hours is probably an un understatement just in the grade rules or like right and that's just for the fit and that's fabric aside that's sewing aside that's stitching aside that's details aside that's like just what's the shape of this thing and how does it fit your body so the grade rules the grade rules are the things that you'd grab i like that now they're probably all you know digitally archived somewhere so I you keep a copy at my house yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. I do. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a strange thing. It's, it's hard to describe and it's, and it's not a, like, 
like I said, it can't, it's not like a promise that it's going to fit everybody, but like the study of the human form is really what my job became pretty soon after we like designed, you know, designed a cool gene. We designed the original with like cool stitching and cool details and blah, blah, blah. And we can go all into that forever. But then it was just like, how do I make these fit better for more people more of the time? And that's been a, a really cool thing to jump into. Does the community of Raleigh, um, I'm sorry, I bounce around a lot. It's just how I do. Okay, but does yeah. the community, do you feel like the community of Raleigh recognizes you at large now? Like, are you a source of pride? It's a bigger town. You're just a small company. But what do you think? How do you, after all this time, do you feel like, yeah, you know, Raleigh kind of knows we're here? I, yeah, like, we're, I think so. I mean, I, I yeah. like to hope so. I mean, I always meet people that have never heard of us, but like, I do run into people all the time that, like say, oh, my friend or my family members in town. And the first thing I suggested they do is go to Raleigh Denim. And that makes my heart like so big. And it, it makes me so happy that people are proud of what we're doing and, and proud of the way that we represent our city and that we're a part of our city. And um, That has to feel so great. And it's such a, a great thing to think of. Uh, we live in a world now where people um, – for different economic reasons, you know, sort of treat, often treat housing like a commodity, right? Something you invest in, you buy, sell, you move, and you buy, sell, you flip, and you move. To stay in a community for all these years, put the work in in the community, to have your, your company named of the community, yeah. that's, that's a rare thing. That has to feel great. I hope you recognize it, that it's just not something that happens all the time, at least not out in California, yeah. you know, or in a lot of other, you know, cities where there's just... Um, so much jumping around to try to, you know, just keep up with the Joneses that uh, being able to stay where you're at, I think that's also part of a nicer world. I think that being able to stay yeah. where you're at, being able to work with and in your community, um, being able to have your kids grow up in a community if you have kids and not bounce from school to school to school to school to school, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, do you have a super nice challenge, something that you can issue to listeners, to club members, something that they can do, just a small thing or big, eh, uh, to make their world, the world, a little bit nicer? Oh, man. Super nice challenge. I was thinking like about these like very small, surprising acts of kindness to somebody that you don't know. Um, my mom used to do this and it would be like very, very small things like leaving someone a piece of candy or like a random acts of kindness to strangers is a thing that can be big. It can be small. It could be, uh, leaving a, a small note on a receipt. It could be tipping someone an extra couple of bucks. It could be buying the person behind you's dinner or coffee or it could be letting somebody go in front of you when you're driving it could be taking a deep breath when somebody cuts you off and not honking your horn i think these are like very 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 small things small acts of kindness and and understanding add up uh and i think can make the world a nicer place so my challenge i agree is, quite a bit yeah so, so my challenge is to do three small random acts of kindness for a stranger every day. 
every day. Ooh, big challenge. I like it. Especially coming out of COVID when we're finally going to see strangers again, right? Yep. I, I agree. Three small acts. Of, let's ramp it up. Let me see. How can I make a tough challenge even harder? How about make a focus of, if you can, try to do those small acts of kindness for people that are as different from you as possible. Yes. Right? I love so, it. So just reaching out across these in bullshit divides like that, it, uh, it's good for everybody involved. All right. Absolutely. Are you okay with that? You I, love that, like, that I, love right. I love it. That extra lift? I love it. I love it. Also, we'll do it for people who look just like you. That's fine too. But if you want to go for an extra extra lift, how about one of those three should be somebody wildly different from you? It also can be uncomfortable to do this because if you're a man and you do a small act of kindness for a woman, you might think, oh, is she, is she thinking that I'm flirting with her? Mm-hmm. Right? Things like that. Get over that. Yeah. You know, that's not on you. Just Just do the kindness. Uh, lastly, here's how we wrap it up. This is the fun part for you, maybe. Uh, you get to ask one question of me. Any question. Uh, so you get to be the host for a second. Well, it's soon. So we're on a video call. And, and so just so people know that, like, as soon as we got on the video call, I saw this painting behind you. And my first thought before we even said hello is, tell me about the painting. Okay, so on the wall behind me, is uh is a small painting it's about 15 inches by 10 something like that and it's got a, a pretty battered wood frame it's a portrait of a young man i'm gonna say he's maybe 22 in a brown suit with a very very light teal shirt pointed so probably painted it looks like an early 80s kind of shirt style so it's not 70s really long taper it's more like 80s and then he's got a brown with a green polka dot tie on with a green kind of Olin Mills, green and brown kind of washed out background. Did I describe it well? Yeah, yeah. Is that good? Yeah. Cool. Anyway, found that at a thrift shop probably 15, 20 years ago. Um, his name's Dave. No relation to me whatsoever. Dave has just hung out with me for a long, long time. He's here because, um, you know, my wife didn't want him in the house. Uh, <laughs> So, Dave also has sparkling dark blue eyes, uh, short, wavy, sandy, sandy blonde hair, really nice eyebrows. They're thick, but they're dark brown, kind of fade to blonde, and, and a bit of a bemused look on his face. Yeah. He's got a twinkle, but, it, you know, anyway, so that's Dave. I, I just saw him at a thrift store. I liked him. Before he came here, I finally, she's, you know, I said, I don't know what to do with Dave. I guess I'll give him away. So I took him down to um, the Brentwood Country Market, which is is kind of old, but very fancy marketplace near where I live in LA. And there's a shuttered restaurant that has these kind of like ornate iron, uh, kind of look like it must, maybe it was a French restaurant, but iron, uh, it'd be like where the menu might have once been on the outside of the restaurant, uh-huh. you know, behind glass, but it's open. If you reach behind the iron, if you reach your arm around. So I put Dave in there on display behind the, behind the metal and the, and the glass uh, for passersby. I thought somebody in L.A. is a cool town. would love Dave. Uh, it was about a year ago and it was kind of cold and a bit rainy. A week went by and nobody took Dave. He just kind of looked out at me every day. Like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why am I not at home? I've been with you for 15 years. Why am I out here in the cold? Nobody's taking me. 
So two weeks went by. Nobody took Dave. I went on Nextdoor, which is the cesspit um, app for just hateful people to say terrible things about each other, especially the homeless. Uh, and I said, hey, you know, Dave is waiting for you to take him home. Announced it to everybody. It took about three weeks, and I finally felt sorry for Dave, and I brought him back home. And he's been in the, uh, in the super nice podcast room ever since. Oh, yeah. well, thank you for sharing. So I'm, I think he's Dave's probably here the end of time now never, <laughs> never getting rid of dave again yeah it's a cool so thing. uh yeah that's dave and uh he was half off of seven dollars wow so he was a three dollar and fifty cent purchase deal so, total steal you know what art collectors out there that paid 60 million dollars for an nft psst, i got way more enjoyment out of my three dollar and fifty cent dave painting and dave is available All for right. 60 million dollars if anyone is interested I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Dave might be available. Dave is available if you will found a craft college in his name. Oh, there we go. Connecting the dots. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what Dave is available for. <laughs> What's $60 million going to do for me? You know, give me a nicer microphone for this podcast. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, Victor, really appreciate your time. Thank I you. I really do. Give my best to, to Sarah and to... Nancy. Yeah. I think I have more than one pair of Nancy pants. Oh. I think. I'll have to go back through and see. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. We're definitely going to pay attention. I will come out. I'm going to come out. I've got a few things I need to do out in North Carolina one of these days. So I'll make I will you, do a holler. I'll make you anything you want when you come visit. We'll make it together. Fantastic. We'll have dinner. We'll make something awesome. It'll be sweet. It'll be great. Yeah. Anytime you guys get out to LA, give a holler too. And again, so that's RaleighDenimWorkshop.com, folks, if you're driving and you didn't get a chance to write anything down or, or go online while we were talking, it, it'll be, you can click to it from wherever you found this. But Raleigh Denim Workshop, just just a super nice model of doing business uh, in the fashion world that, that we love. So thanks for listening in. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, there you have it, a super nice conversation with super nice Victor of Raleigh Denim Workshop. Isn't he cool? Aren't you intrigued? If you are already into salvage denim, then I'm sure you enjoyed that just because you get to learn more about it. If you're not, wow, right? What a lot of thought and work going into making a pair of pants. You know, let's be honest, a lot of us take our pants for granted. Um, and when we start taking a look at everything that we own, all of the little pieces of our lives, isn't there a richness to that? Isn't there a richness to having a moment with your pants? I'm going to geek out here, but like, yeah, I'm unbuttoning my fly. So what? Uh, the feel of each button as your thumb presses the backside of the button, you know, there's a comfort there. If it's done right, it's a pleasurable experience, right? If the uh, buttonholes are sewn correctly or cut correctly or cutting and sewn correctly. They don't wear out. What's maddening? What's maddening is when one of them wears out and then you're walking around and your fly pops open. Mm. A craftsperson can make sure that doesn't happen. And there's a difference there. Anyway, I feel the same way about things like t-shirts. Like how's the neck sewn? How does the neck fit? These are all small joys that we can have. Uh, am I losing you? Yeah, probably. I even think that Thumbtacks could be designed better uh, to be more pleasurable. You ever try to push a thumbtack into a really hard wall? It hurts, doesn't it? It doesn't have to hurt. Those edges don't have to be as hard. You know, if Victor and Sarah made thumbtacks, thumbtacks would be 
more pleasant. Yeah, and they would probably also put more people in better paying jobs. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I hope you got something out of this episode. Two more weeks from now until we get to our next episode. I'm not sure who that's going to be. Haven't figured that out yet. It's going to be a surprise. All right. Love you a bunch. Until next time, stay nice. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could lend a helping hand. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could see your neighbor's band. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could put away your clothes. If you wanted to be nicer, you can teach everything you know. And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice. That you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice So what? Big deal.